Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. As I announced last week, I'm now recording this podcast in video format, as well as audio format, which means a lot more work for me. I truly had no idea the extra amount of work involved when I decided to do this. So we'll see how it goes. That's with everything I do. I typically try to listen to the audience and follow the natural path of what people like and don't like. Of course, this does not apply to the things I actually say, because when it comes to the things I say, I just say what needs to be said. TheLastSymptom.com is my website full of free resources, so I invite you to head over there, take advantage of them. And if you're at TheLastSymptom.com and you'd like to support my overall body of work, which includes this video or the, the podcast that you're listening to, you can do that. You can even schedule a one-on-one conversation with me while you're there if that's more your thing. Now, to, today's official topic is one that, I've, that I teased last week. What can dogs teach us? Naturally, in the context of this show, what we're really interested in is what can dogs teach us about emotional health? Well, we've talked about dogs a little in the past, haven't we? I've explained how each of us as human beings are born with a unique personality type. This personality that we're born with is especially obvious when you have something to contrast it with. If you walk into a room and there's one newborn baby there, perhaps you won't immediately be able to perceive a personality, right, for that one baby. But what if you walk into a nursery where there are 50 Newborn babies. Now you have contrast. The contrast of each newborn baby's personality against all of the other newborn babies' personalities. Well, in the past, I've talked about how I've been able to do this specifically with puppies in real life. Yeah, I've literally gone out to farms where a farmer had a new litter of puppies. And I've said, hey... You mind if I take a look at your pups? He says, go right ahead. And I go into the barn there, and uh, there I see a litter of 12 puppies. And guess what? If I sit there and I watch the puppies long enough, I can distinguish 
individual personality, their natural personalities between those puppies. And you think about that. They've had no experiences yet in life. They were just born. Their experiences have not made them who they are. They're born that way. And their personalities are distinct. Now, what forms our identities as adults? Our adult identity is the combination of the natural personality type we're born with combined with education or experience. Experience is just education, if you think about it. So who I am right now, talking to you, for example, is a combination of the natural personality type I was just born with combined with all the education or the experience that my personality has come up against over the past 44 years. Do dogs go through this process? You bet they do. They're born with their natural inherent personalities, just like we've already established. And then depending on which owner they end up with, they may become a well-behaved dog, or they might become a poorly behaved dog. They might be killers, or they might be the most benign family pet you've ever seen in your life. Pretty interesting, ain't it? The similarities there. You're, you're never going to watch Disney's Lady and the Tramp the same way again, are you? So there are a lot of things we can learn from dogs, and I wanted to introduce you to my great buddy and pal for the past nine years, Bradbury. And I'm going to forewarn you that he is not going to sit still and look at the camera. But uh, I can't have a conversation about dogs and not invite my, my great buddy up here to participate. So here we go. Braddy, come over here, buddy. How you doing? Hop up here. Hop up here. There you go. He, he's injured his, uh, his right paw. And so uh, he's a little he's a little shy about jumping up on it. Oh, oh, what are you allergic to me? Hey, watch this. Maybe I should promise you a treat. You want you want a treat? <laughs> Hop up here. There you go. <laughs> all right, I promise you a treat when I finish. All right. Bradbury is a blackmouth cur. And uh, the Blackmouth Cur is a breed that's indigenous to the American South. Specifically, he's a Ladner Blackmouth Cur out of Mississippi. So, if you're thinking that you've never in your life heard of Blackmouth Curs, that's because they're an American Southern breed, valued among Southerners, and not recognized by the AKC, the American Kennel Club, which is a good thing, not a bad thing. There are so many comparisons and things we can learn by watching and thinking about, about dogs. But uh, what I really wanted to share with you today was communication style. How dogs expect you to communicate with them. And I really cannot take credit for most of what I share with you from this part of today's topic. Because to be perfectly honest, Caesar Milan, Caesar Milan is the genius who put these things into words. Caesar Milan, or as he was known for a long time here in the United States, the dog whisperer, 
is a man who indirectly has influenced my work very, very much. In fact, I should have included one of his books in my list of book recommendations a while back, and I didn't do that, so I'm going to correct that here. I recommend that everybody who loves dogs and who is also trying to sort out their own individual psychology as people should read two of Caesar Milan's books, which I myself own and I've read on more than one occasion. So the first book is from 2006. It's called Caesar's Way, The Natural Everyday Guide to Understanding and Correcting Common Dog Problems. The second book, which I read immediately before I brought Bradbury home, the dog you just met, nine years ago. I read it nine years ago in my preparation for him coming and joining my family, is Caesar Milan's book, How to Raise the Perfect Dog Through Puppyhood and Beyond. As you know, I'm all about contrast. So when you can see a clear contrast between things, it means that you can understand these things much more clearly. Learning about dog psychology is a great contrast. It's a contrast with human psychology. They're not the same. We can learn things from one and the other, but human psychology and canine psychology is not the same. Studying this contrast and making these comparisons allows you to get to know yourself, yourself and other people, other human beings, much, much better than if you're simply studying people and contrasting them with people. In my past book recommendations, I recommended the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Why is that book so good? Contrast. The natural communication style of women is contrasted very nicely with the natural communication style of men. As a person myself who has firsthand experience with dog psychology and of applying Caesar Milan's principles, let me give you one example. Many dog owners have dogs who are terrified of lightning and thunder or of loud noises. And the owners believe that this is either a natural part of the dog's personality or that experience, experience has simply trained the dog to fear loud noises or lightning and thunder. What is really happening in these situations? Well, if you have a dog that is afraid of thunder and lightning, it's not the dog's fault. And no, it's not the dog's natural personality type. Your dog is afraid of lightning and thunder because you yourself have taught him to be afraid of thunder and lightning. It's your fault. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because until now you have applied human psychology to your dog. Is your dog a human? The answer is obvious. The way you have communicated with your dog and the way you have interpreted your dog's behaviors and reactions has been through the filter of human psychology. 
rather than dog psychology. Well, this just creates a ton of miscommunication and problems. See, when your dog has become scared of loud noises like thunder and lightning in the past, what have you done? You've treated your dog like a little furry person, haven't you? You looked at my little furry baby. You've consoled that dog. This has been your natural instinct, to console the dog. The dog comes trembling and with his tail tucked between his legs, and you said, well, this, this little human... This little furry human needs to be comforted. And so you comforted him. But what would a bitch, that is, the mother dog, have done in this same situation? The mother dog will always scold her pups when their behavior is inappropriate. So in the wild, when the dogs behave inappropriately over thunder and lightning, the mom does not console them. She scolds them. And this can be with a growl or a nip, whatever the case. She makes it clear that their behavior is inappropriate to the circumstances. Her growling and her nipping is a way of saying, no, that's not right. That's not right. So what message do the pups hear when she does this? Do they hear... Oh my God, our mom doesn't love us. Uh Uh-uh. What the puppies hear is, your behavior to this situation is inappropriate. Thunder and lightning are not something you have to fear. By contrast, what message is the dog receiving from you when you console the dog when it shows fear of thunder and lightning? Well, the very clear message you're telling the dog is that yes... Yes, Spot. (laughs) Yes, Fluffy. You're correct. The thunder and lightning is something to be terrified of. So when my dog Bradbury was a puppy, and he'd show fear at loud noises like thunder and lightning, and he came to me with his tail tucked between his legs, what did I do? I said, no. No. Very sternly. Guess how many times I had to do that? About five times. About five times I had to do that before my dog never feared thunder and lightning again. Do you see how me applying dog psychology, understanding what I was communicating to my dog, allowed me to know the message that he was receiving from me? So to this day, he'll sleep right through the worst thunder and lightning you could ever imagine. He's not an anxious dog. He's a secure, content dog. My hard work and consistency in the first five months of his life have determined his level of inner peace and security for the rest of these nine years that he and I have been together. Isn't that beautiful? A little bit of hard work in the beginning, and the rest is just a piece of cake. You see, by applying human psychology to creatures who are not human, what you end up with is emotionally unhealthy, distorted pets who are riddled with anxiety. From now on, just like me, whenever you go into somebody's house and they have some little nervous, anxious dog, trembling or possessive, or it's mean to children or it's anxious or any of these emotionally unhealthy things, you know who to blame. Not the dogs. The dogs 
have only been given a shitty education by their ignorant owners. So it's a lot like children, ain't it? I mean, I know we're trying to create a contrast between dogs and people, but isn't it true that when you see hell-spawned children out in public, I mean, these children just act like hellions. Who do you have negative feelings towards? Is it the children? I don't. It's the parents, right? I feel a bit of contempt for the parents. Because they've obviously not put any work at all in understanding what their children need. And I feel compassion for the children. I I don't think anything bad about the children. How much energy does it take to, uh, to buy a book and spend five, six hours reading a book about what children need? Doesn't take a lot. But more about communication styles. And this is the part I've really been leading up to and the part that uh, you're going to benefit most from today, hopefully. Get out your pen and paper because this is going to be good. There are several different behavior types when it comes to communication. And uh, we're talking about people here. We're talking about people. And it applies to dogs too. And we're going to get into that. But let's talk about these several different uh, behavior types when it comes to just our, you know, the communication within our behavior. Here are three primary behavior types that people use to communicate that we'll talk about today. One, passive aggressive. Two, calm submissive. Three, calm assertive. Now, it's important to talk about these because for most of your life, you and your family have lived this pattern, passive-aggressive. Also, this is not something that's tied into the distorted core beliefs of borderline personality disorder. No, this is an entirely separate aspect of emotional unhealth, and it needs to be fixed on its own. It's in no way tied to the fundamental, erroneous perceptions of borderline personality disorder. Do you know what that means? It means you could entirely fix the cause of borderline personality disorder and still be living this emotionally unhealthy way, this passive-aggressive communication behavior style. What is passive-aggressive behavior? Passive-aggressive behavior is any time you try to manipulate another person's behavior, reactions, or their choices with your own behavior. You don't tell them. You behave in a way to manipulate them. Also, it's any time you're attempting to communicate, either intentionally or unintentionally, a message without coming out and saying it. So, for example, when I was a kid, my dad would give us insults disguised as compliments. Did you catch that? My father would give us insults disguised as compliments. You're going to identify with this. I know you are. Other adults would say, Oh, your kids are so well-behaved. They're such good kids. And my dad would say, Yeah, they're pretty good kids. But then his subconscious would not allow him to let the compliment stand on its own. So he would always follow it up with, 
They're pretty good kids when they're asleep anyway. Ha, ha, ha. And it was a bunch of laughs. Even I, at the time, did not know the real nature of what my father was doing with that. I always imagined he was just being charming, but was he just being charming? Mm-mm. He was drawing attention to himself at the expense of his own children. It wasn't harmless joking, as I truly believed at the time. It was my ex-wife, Diana, who picked up on my father's pattern of doing this and first brought it to my attention. And even when she did, I argued with her that he was just joking. It meant nothing. But once she had called my attention to it, I suddenly could no longer deny it. It was a pattern. I started seeing a pattern in it. When you see a pattern in a thing, you start to realize there's more behind it. A recurring pattern. And I began to understand that pattern. Insults disguised as compliments. So my dad would say to my mom, this supper you prepared is really nice. And then a, a tick of a moment would pass, and he'd follow it up with something like, you must have had somebody else cook it for you. <laughs> you never cook this good. Of course, this would be followed by much laughter. To really sell the illusion that it's just a joke. It's just a harmless joke. But do you see what it really was? It was an insult disguised as a compliment. Much more was going on there. He subconsciously could not allow compliments toward his family to stand. He always had to take the compliment away at the end. And give a compliment, take it away. Give a compliment, undermine it. Give a compliment, reverse it, negate it. He always had to turn it into an insult. Really sick, this sort of passive-aggressive behavior. So extremely subtle. Remember that we talked about the subtle nature of everything that's involved in these situations of emotional unhealth. And how you have to learn what to look for and how to identify it. Well, here's a perfect example of that. How else does passive-aggressive manifest? Well, a lot of people will use silence. So instead of simply communicating their needs or wants directly, they'll use silence as a way to manipulate you into the behavior they want to get from you. For example, after an argument, the person who lives with this behavior style, if he or she is convinced that they were wronged by the other person, they may go off. They may go off by themselves. Go work on the car. Even though this big, important topic obviously needs to be discussed, they'll go off by themselves. They won't say anything. Go work on the car. They'll go hide in the room. Their secret intention is that their silence will manipulate you or whoever into eventually coming around to initiate a conversation about whatever it is that's bothering them. And why do they do this? Well, they do it because they view it as a form of victory and control. And guess what? They're right. <laughs> They're right. 
when the other person falls for this manipulation, ain't it true that they have been controlled? As I've said in the past, the partners of emotionally unhealthy people are emotionally unhealthy themselves. There's no other possibility. The partner just as likely grew up in a household where this type of communication style, this passive aggressiveness, was how everybody behaved. So, whether you more often end up being manipulated by passive aggressiveness, or if you typically are the person who gets about by using passive aggressiveness, it, it don't matter. Either way, it's a behavior communication style that you were a slave to, and you have to escape it. Fortunately, passive aggressiveness is not one of those things with recovery that has to last forever, or that's super complicated to understand, or that takes years to stop doing. Because once you learn and understand the concept of behavior communication style number three, number three that we mentioned at the beginning, you'll have contrast, you can begin putting it into practice this very day. By the end of this week, and I'm not kidding, you could have the hang of it. You could have the hang of it by the end of this week and never, ever have to go back to passive aggressiveness. And this is where we have dogs and Caesar Milan to thank because dogs never engage in passive aggressiveness they only participate in two behavior communication styles and that's the second and third one that I mentioned when we began this discussion calm submissive and calm assertive in fact this is so true that any behavior or communication style that does not fall into these two categories, dogs view as insanity. <laughs> That's right. When you behave in agitated, assertive ways, as your dog's pack leader or human, the dog simply sees you as somebody who's lost his or her mind. So how does a, a mother dog communicate her education to her puppies? Well, she does so always in a calm, assertive way. Earlier I mentioned to you that she will growl or nip at her puppies, right? And uh, maybe this doesn't seem so calm to you, but it is. Think about it. She's not ripping their fur out. She's not harming them. She simply uses the, method, the methods she has at her disposal to communicate perfectly clearly what her message is. So mom-dog always communicates with her pups using calm, assertive behavior. Dogs as pupils, as pets, always wish to be communicated with in calm, assertive behavior. Dogs are incredible in that their number one desire in life is to know is to know what you want and then do that. That is the beautiful relationship between humans and dogs. So if your dog is not doing what you want, 
Guess where the fault lies? It's obvious. It's obvious. Remember, he or she only wants to do whatever you want him or her to do. And he or she is constantly trying to listen for what that is. So if they're not doing it, frankly, it's because your behavior communication style sucks. You're not communicating what you want from he or she clearly enough. This is your objective. This is the kryptonite for your own passive aggressiveness as well as the krypton as well as the kryptonite for those you have to rub shoulders with who are passive aggressive. What is the kryptonite? What is the solution? Calm assertive. A person who lives with the pattern of passive aggressiveness. That behavior communicate that uh, behavior communication style simply cannot stand up to calm assertive. It, it just cannot. Imagine that a person in your family has gone off, is trying to passive, passively aggressively manipulate you. But now you're a person who's living with the behavior communication style of calm assertive, right? What will you do? You'll recognize immediately when the passive aggressiveness of the other person is kicking in and you will negate it. You'll pull the rug right out from underneath of it. Your behavior style, your calm, assertive behavior style, will pull the rug right out from underneath passive aggressiveness. You'll back them into a corner. You'll address the situation head on. No ambiguity whatsoever in a calm way. Do you see how that completely pulls the rug out from underneath the other? Recently, somebody was telling me about their mother's passive-aggressive behavior and how much it was affecting her. What was the problem? The problem is that the person herself has not practiced calm, assertive behavior as a way to completely negate and neutralize neutralize the passive aggressiveness. When done right, calm assertive always neutralizes passive aggressiveness. How does calm assertive work? Well, it's honestly the easiest thing in the world. I mean, you're not going to be introduced to anything that you can get the hang of so quickly. This is it. And you see me doing this all the time. Every time you think I'm being too harsh and forward in this program, I'm not. I'm not. I'm simply being calm, assertive. Laying it out there. Not angry. I'm not sad. I'm not anything. This is my thoughts on that. This is the way it is. No softening. No beating around the bush. It's just this. I'm I'm just going to give it to you. How are people in your life going to react to you suddenly starting to communicate this way. Well, they're probably going to hate it, (laughs) to be honest with you. It's going to make them uncomfortable. Do it anyway. Escape their manipulations. Give up your manipulations. How does calm assertive work in romantic relationships? Well, it's going to mean no longer hiding yourself in the bedroom 
to see if you can get your boyfriend to come after you to apologize. Mm-mm. Calm assertive means that if you feel you need an apology, you just write out tell him this. Think about that. God, I want him to apologize to me. I'm going to go into the bedroom and, and I'm going to make I'm going to force I'm going to manipulate him into doing it. Isn't it much easier to say, wait a second, what do I need? Well, I need an apology. I'm going to tell him I need an apology. That's calm assertive. Hey, Bob, you remember when you said this? Yeah, I didn't like that too much. Made me feel like this, and this is what I need from you. I need you to say you're sorry for that. Isn't that much, much easier (laughs) than going and hanging out in the bedroom for three hours, waiting for Bob to come in and figure it out on his own? Of course it is. Calm assertive means that if you feel a need for an apology, you just right out tell him. And you clearly explain the reason why. It's so, so simple. But there's no more letting yourself being manipulated by passive aggressiveness either. Because if somebody says one thing, but you know that the real message is another thing, what will you do? What will you do immediately? Will you just let it go? Mm-mm. Because remember, if you do that, you're meeting passive aggressiveness with passive, uh, passive, pap, passive, pa, passive submit. All right. If somebody, let's do this again. If somebody says, One thing, but they really mean something else. And you know they mean something else. If you don't say anything, you're meeting passive aggressiveness with passive submissiveness. There, I got it. And remember, that's not one of your communication styles anymore, is it? Instead, when you recognize that somebody has passively aggressively communicated a hidden message to you, you're going to calmly call them out on it. Somebody's going to say something to you like, well, I guess you're busy. I won't bother you. And you know what they want. They're, they're actually saying you're not replying to their text messages as fast as you should. Right? Well, I guess you're busy. I won't bother you anymore. Have they come right out and said, hey, why aren't you replying to my text messages? Like, why is it taking you so long? No. They're subtly trying to send a message through another message, right? That's passive aggressiveness. Well, I guess you're busy. I won't bother you no more. Here's what you're going to say now that you're a calm, assertive person. You're not going to let that go. You're going to say, well, I'll tell you what, Sally. What I just heard is that uh, you're feeling insecure and needy. That's the message, right, that you just gave me? You're you're insecure and needy? Because we've been chatting for an hour already, and you know I have this work I need to finish tonight. So uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, Sally. That sort of passive-aggressive neediness is a real turnoff, to be perfectly honest. You know what I would prefer? Just say what you mean, Sally. Just say what you mean. 
Their jaws are going to hit the ground. Let me tell you. Their jaws are going to hit the ground. But are you being mean? Are you being harsh? No. No. You're not being a sucker anymore. You're simply bringing out into the open a thing that everybody already knows. Trust me. Sally already knows it. You already know it. But the passive-aggressive person does not want you to acknowledge it, does she? She doesn't want you to call her out on that. But you're going to. You're going to because you're going to move from this passive stuff. You're going to move to this calm assertive. You're not going to let this these subtle kind of secret messages go by you anymore. You're going to say, all right, listen, Sally, you're going to send me a message like that. I'm going to I'm going to bring it right out into the open. I'm going to we're going to talk about it. Calm assertiveness. Hey, listen, passive aggressiveness. <laughs> and I'm not even joking here. It's what I deal with nine kajillion times a week with this work that I'm doing. So believe me, you're going to feel a lot better meeting this passive aggressiveness with calm assertiveness. Well, I mean, I think that most people, when they talk to me, they they know what they're getting. They know what they're getting. They appreciate that. And I think that your people are going to appreciate that too. So there you go. Dogs can teach us so many things. And here today, we've learned of several. The conversation could go on for a literal 40 hours if I allowed it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the encouraging finale. Years ago, when I was a teenager, I was riding on the school bus. The guy that I always ride the school bus with was named Brian Lambert. And Brian Lambert had a way of making me laugh more than anybody, anybody that I've ever met then or since. On this particular day, Brian Lambert told me something. I still remember the joke today. I'm not going to share it with you because it's not going to be as funny to you, but he got me laughing so hard, so hard that I could not control myself. I begged him. I said, please stop. I can't. I can't control myself no more. You got to stop talking. You're just making me laugh too hard. And in the end, I outright crapped my pants. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't pee my pants. I pooped my pants full out. I had to go through the whole day of school like that, <laughs> walking around <laughs> with a load of crap in my pants. <laughs> well, several years ago, Brian Lambert and I reconnected, and here we are. Did it seem like 20 years had passed? Which it had. Uh-uh. It seemed like five minutes had passed. 
Lifelong friendships are a beautiful thing. Never underestimate them. Even a guy who made you shit your pants can turn out to be one of your best friends even 20 or 30 years later.